Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word this morning and we see this account of the beheading of John the Baptist, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us clearly of your presence and the cost of following you. Amen. Well, uh, a couple had uh, two young boys aged eight to ten years old. And these two young boys were incredibly mischievous. Whenever there was any trouble in their town, the parents could be assured that the two young sons were in some way involved. And the parents were at their wit's end about what to do about their son's behaviour. The mother had heard that a clergyman in the town had been successful in disciplining children in the past. So she asked her husband if he thought they should send the boys to speak with the clergyman. The husband said, well, we might as well. We need to do something before I really lose my temper. The clergyman agreed to speak with the boys, but asked to see them individually. And so the eight-year-old, that was the youngest one, went first to meet him. The clergyman sat the boy down and asked him sternly, where is God? The boy made no response. So the clergyman repeated the question in an even sterner tone, where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer. So the clergyman raised his voice even more, shook his finger in the boy's face and said, where is God? At that, the boy bolted from the room, ran directly home, slamming himself into the bathroom. His older brother followed him in and asked what had happened. Well, the younger boy replied, we are in big trouble this time. God is missing and they think we did it. The younger boy said, we are in big trouble this time. God is missing and they think we did it. Well, as we look at history, as we look at the biblical accounts, as we look at our lives and history, do we have a similar statement to make? God is missing and we are responsible for it. Or are other people responsible for it, like scientists, intellectuals, philosophers, radicals, artists, literary figures, the church, or even politicians? Are they responsible? Is God absent from our lives and the life of the country today? Well, as I looked at this passage in front of this morning, I wondered what John the Baptist thought. Did he think, as he sat in that prison, that God was missing? And what about Jesus? And what about those people that stood and listened and watched Jesus in Mark chapter 6? So it's a good question for us this morning, isn't it? Is God missing? What does it actually mean to be a disciple of God? And what's it cost us? 
Well, if we go back to Mark chapter 6 and we look at the earlier verses, we see that Jesus is still going around the local area. He's teaching in, in, in his hometown. People are listening. They're marvelling at his wisdom and his miracles that he performed. But because of his birth, because they knew of his family, his occupation, the people took offence and refused to believe in him as God's son. They would not have faith in who he claimed to be. And so we read in verse 5 that Jesus carried on within the area, visiting villages, performing limited miracles. A few were healed because God's presence wasn't acknowledged or seen because of the lack of faith of the people. And Jesus frequently spoke of how his miracles were possible because of the faith of the people involved. And so we read here that Jesus sent out his disciples to cast out demons and perform miracles of healing. And Jesus gave his followers the power to do this. So there's a witness here to this community, to the power and authority and the presence of God within their community, which those people fail to understand. So the question for them was, who is this Jesus? We'll look at verse 14. Some thought Jesus was John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Others, Elijah or one of the other older prophets. There was confusion Yet there was a belief in the supernatural because they acknowledged the possibilities of bodies being raised from the dead. There was opposition to Jesus by people who didn't believe that God was present, having listened to his teaching and seen his supernatural work uh, of miracle healings. And through this short account, we see behind the daily reality to the work of the evil one. Because we read that these people had the sins of pride, doubt, jealousy. The people that had grown up with the family of Jesus. And we clearly see the evidence of the evil one's work through the life of Herod and Herodias. We see, don't we, the work of the evil one in his attempts to get rid of John, who had witnessed to who Jesus was. Firstly, we see that John the Baptist faces up to the wrongdoing of a political leader, a man who had considerable authority within their society. And I think as we look at the character of John the Baptist, we see that he wasn't PC. He wasn't politically correct. He challenged Herod morally. Today the equivalent would be if someone challenged a leader as to their stealing or corruption or same-sex relationship. But what was the result of this challenge? Well, the, the wife, Herodias, nursed a grudge. She hated John for what he had openly stated about their relationship. But note what else was going on. Herod was giving a party for powerful men. He sought to entertain them by having a young girl dancing in front of them. He was using sexual stimulation to entertain his guests. And then he made her a promise with an oath which again goes against the laws of Israel. Herod sets himself up into a trap. And here we see the work of the evil one through the scheming Herodias. 
Do you see here how all these strands of evil are working together to minimize the presence of God, to cause the killing of God's chosen man, that prophet that God had chosen to proclaim who his Messiah was. Evil was at work. However, as we read on in the chapter for next week, you'll see that though this was a terrible event, it didn't stop the work and presence of God through Jesus. We see in in the rest of the chapter how Jesus carried on with more miracles, the feeding the 5,000, walking on water, the healing of the sick. The supernatural world of Jesus meets the natural world of man. And so we see here that John witnesses to the presence of God on earth. It starts right at the beginning of his life when Zechariah, his father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied the work of his son. We see it in Mark chapter 1 verse 4 which says, And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the people of Jerusalem came out of the city to hear and witness to his preaching. In other words, considerable numbers of people who, which must have disturbed the religious and political leaders of the time. And John became very well known. He was an unusual man in what he wore, how he lived and where he lived. And he carried out that very famous baptism of, of Jesus when God came and opened heavens and spoke directly to him. And so we see the presence of God through this time. We read again of John in Matthew 11, verses 1 to 20, where Herod had liked to listen to him speak, but yet hadn't responded to his message of repentance. But because of the opposition of the religious leaders of the time and because of his criticism about Herod's lifestyle, Herod had him put in prison. John was not afraid of confronting those in authority. But what does this account say to us today who are sitting in church this morning in the year 2015? Well, surely it says something, doesn't it, to us about the presence of God and the following of Jesus. If God is missing, we need to find out where he is. And we need to have faith in God. If you look in Psalms, it says in Psalms 125, in the first two verses, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. And we need faith, don't we, to believe that. Faith that there is a God present, that God is with us today. And we need faith to see the work of God happening today. Like those people around Jesus who needed faith to see the miracles of Jesus. And we need faith today. So that's my first point. My second point is, what about the cost of discipleship? Well, I think we see some of this, don't we, from John's life. A man chosen by God to prepare the way for the Messiah, it costs John an awful lot. 
It's important for us to realise that John's life was not spared because he was God's prophet. God's power wasn't used to overcome the work of the evil one. The cost of discipleship for John was great. And I believe that's an important point for us to grasp this morning as we think of our discipleship. How costly is this for us? Just because we're being obedient to God in our lives doesn't mean that we will be protected from all that is wrong. In fact, it's more likely so. If we're doing God's will, there's a greater chance that we will suffer from people and society and the work of the evil one. We know today that there are people being killed because they witness to who Jesus is. John must have been very lonely there, sitting in that prison, must have wondered where God was, must have wondered when was God going to deliver him. Well, we read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, that while he was in prison, John sent messengers to Jesus, asking to confirm, are you the chosen Messiah, the one that I have prophesied about? Doubt lurked even at the door of John the Baptist's heart. And there may well be times in our lives when doubts come in, when the presence of God seems very distant. Well, if that's happening for you today, look at the witness of Jesus in the Gospels. Look at the witness of the other people within the Gospels. Look at the witness of people today. But throughout Jesus' ministry, he presents to us the cost of following him. It says in Matthew 10, verse 25, that Jesus says, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Jesus talks about not looking back, not going to bury your dead, giving up all to follow him. And I believe that too often we don't hear, do we, in our, in our society, in our time, the cost of discipleship. We're anxious to spread the good news that Jesus came to earth to die for us so that our sins may be forgiven. But do we share in with each other the cost of discipleship? To be a disciple of Jesus means to follow Jesus all the way to the cross and beyond. What this will mean for each one of us may well be different, but at least it will mean sacrificing self and putting Jesus into the centre of our lives. Practically, it will mean that we actively seek the face of God, that we actively seek the power and authority of Jesus and the Holy Spirit so that we bring healing and authority in his name to those that we live and work with. And as we heard this morning from Amanda, it will affect the way that we see the money entrusted to us and the way that we use the money for God's work here in Norwich. And I would like to suggest that as individuals and as a church, that we seek this year to see what the discipleship means to us in this area. Jesus' life demonstrates the presence of the Father and the presence of discipleship. Despite all Jesus' power and authority, Jesus moves steadily towards Jerusalem and to death, because the realities of evil and goodness, hate and love, required it. John the Baptist's death illustrates the same point. There was no shallow triumphalism in John's life. 
nor will faithful witness always bring praise. There's a price to pay. For John the Baptist, it was the ultimate price. So why then should we follow Jesus if the price is so high? Well, surely, because as one follows Jesus, we know that we are living according to the truth. We are giving ourselves in love to the service of God in his world. And the reward will be that we know that we are serving the living God's purpose here on earth. And we will be with Jesus in eternity. And that, of course, is what we've come to celebrate this morning at the communion service. So let's be thankful, even though it's a difficult passage, it's not a pleasant subject, but we know that God was with John as he was in that prison and he met him in eternity. Amen.